Guys, go back with me to Galatians chapter 5, and um, um, you may recall that last week we looked at verses 5 and 6, and before we leave this little couplet uh, of verses 5 and 6, first of all, I want to read it again. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision or uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. Um, before we leave that and, and move on to verse 7, um, I, I wanted to... Um, I just wanted to. I wanted to show you a couple more things, that maybe not about the text, but certainly related to the text. Gang, this this is a vital statement in terms of our whole definition of what Christian living is about. Look look at this in verse five. Um, uh, for through the Spirit by faith, there it is. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. That's the whole definition of. Christian living, Christian advance, growing into Christ's likeness. There it is. For through the Spirit by faith. <clears throat> that's it. And that's what Paul is contrasting with, with false teachers who were saying that the way that you really need to get you know, uh, spiritually motivated and advancing is through uh, observing certain kind of um, performance standards. That that little clause, I guess it's a phrase, I guess it's two phrases in the end. For through the Spirit, by faith. That's how it's done, ladies and gentlemen. Now, I, that, that sounds simple, but, but this is sanctification. Through the Spirit, by faith. That's it. Now, b- before we, we leave this, let me, let me show you a couple of other things. Um, now, don't forget that the emphasis in verse 6 is, ah, oh, that circumcision stuff, that, that non-circumcision, none of that makes any difference, says Paul. Um, but only faith working through love. That's all that matters, faith working through love. So his emphasis is there um, that uh, justification by faith produces a life that loves. Okay, with, with that in mind, guys... Um, I want you to look at at the next book over in Ephesians chapter 3. Go over there with me real quick. Ephesians 3, um, I'm going to read you a little bit. Um, Ephesians 3, beginning of verse 14. Apostle Paul is writing again, he's writing to Ephesian church, and he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to his riches and glory he may grant you, etc., etc. So he says, I'm really praying for you guys. I want you to know that I'm praying for you guys. Okay, great. That's good to know. What are you praying for, Paul? Well, I'm praying um, uh, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being. Okay, I really want to see you grow and, and develop and mature in the inner man. And, 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 uh, and that's great, Paul. How do we do that? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in law. 
Does your Bible say that? It doesn't say that, does it? How is it that Paul sees that we go about being strengthened according to the inner man? It is that we be rooted and grounded in love. Read on. Um, And may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Why doesn't he say law? He doesn't say law, ladies and gentlemen. It's not like Paul says, now listen, you know, the seventh commandment says thou shalt not commit adultery. Now, the, the, uh, the way that you really, uh, you know, you really grow in grace is you, you got to get that down really pat, you know? you got to know the ins and the outs and the differences between fornication and adultery and, you know, uh, uh, flee youthful lust and all that business. You need to know the, the Greek word for epithumia, which has to do... You really need to dive into the seventh commandment, and you really need to get that thing down pat so that you can really grow in grace. No! I'm bowing my knees, says Paul, for you and praying for you. And here's what I'm pleading for. That you can be strengthened according to the inner man by knowing about love. Not law. His opponents, they thought the way to do this is just, you know, obey the Obey the rules. And uh, do what the, uh, the Judaizers tell you to do, and, and, and you'll just be on your way. Um, gang, I- I'm not trying to tell you that you don't need to know what the Ten Commandments say. I- I- I'm simply telling you that the way that progress is made in Christian living is through the Spirit by faith, knowing more and more of the height and the depth and the breadth of love, of God's love for me. And here's how it works. Um, I get to know more and more of the love of God for me. That's what what he's pointing out here. Well, how do I do that? Well, as I have been saying for the last six months, I go back to the gospel and I, I review the provisions of Jesus Christ for someone as undeserving as I. And the more I see the beauty of the gospel, the more my heart enlarges, it expands. The more my heart expands, the more I'm able to love you. Because you see, guys, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. The the only thing that really means anything is faith working through love. And how, do I, how do I pull that off? Well, I, I get strengthened according to my inner man, and I know the height and the depth and the breadth of the love of God. And the more I do, the more my soul enlarges. And the more capability I have of loving flawed, broken people like y'all and you loving me back, you know? He doesn't ask you to get very acquainted with law he asks you to become fully acquainted with love now in in my effort to illustrate all that i'm going to do two things tonight and um one of them is i want to read you a little story 
um, uh, that comes from Charles Spurgeon. And I hope that you will see how this little story illustrates the difference between what Paul teaches and what the Judaizers, and very frankly, what we in the biblical South or in the, the, the Bible-belted South uh, have thought for years and years and more years and more years. Okay, um, just because um, I don't want to blow it, I'm going to read you the story as, as, Spurgeon, um, as Spurgeon uses it in his sermon, okay? So, um, <laughs> gang, um, I am aware that reading is bad uh, pedagogy. You know what pedagogy is. That's the, uh, that's the way you teach. Reading to an audience is bad pedagogy. You don't do that. I will say this. Probably one of the greatest preachers to ever fill a pulpit was Jonathan Edwards, and he read his whole sermon. He read from a manuscript. Never looked up. Um, no, I don't do that. In fact, I had a man, I worked out on Monday, and a man came up to me, and he was so mad at his church and the thing he uh, was saying to me is that my preacher, he just reads his sermons from the notes. Well, I, you know, you, you can't charge me with that. I, I, uh, but um, I know that this is, not, this is not good pedagogy. But I'm going to read to you a lot. But I, I hope you'll find it. And, and I think you will. I, I'm, I'm gambling. This is the story about the carrot. C-A-R-R-O-T, those orange things that we put in our salad. Once upon a time in an old kingdom, there was a gardener who grew an enormous carrot in his garden. Now, this man loved his king, so he came and presented the carrot to the king, saying, This is the best carrot my garden will ever grow. Receive it as a token of my love. <clears throat> so he's a farmer. He grows this big carrot. I know it's a big carrot. I know it's a giant carrot, you know. And, and uh, he loves his king. And so he takes his prized carrot, and he takes it on down to the palace, and he, uh, you know, he kind of cleans it up and you know, washes the dirt off of it. But um, he gives the carrot to his king. Now, the king discerned his heart of love and devotion and saw that he wanted nothing in return. This moved the king, and he then gave the gardener far more land than he currently had for his garden, so the man went home rejoicing. Now, isn't that a wonderful story? <laughs> That's only half of it. <clears throat> Here's the other half. Now, a nobleman at court overheard this conversation. And he thought to himself, well, if that is the response the Lord makes to, the king makes to such a small gift, <laughs> what will he give in response to a great one? So the next day, he brought the king a fine horse, saying, this is the best horse my stables will ever grow. Receive it as a token of my love. But the king discerned the nobleman's heart 
And in response, he just received the horse and dismissed the giver. When the king saw the look of confusion on his face, he said, the gardener's gift was a gift indeed out of love. But you are trying to make a profit. He gave me the carrot. But you gave yourself the horse. Do you get that? That ain't rocket science, folks. You gave yourself the horse. That is... I'm going to give him the horse in the hopes that I get a whole lot of stuff in return from, you know, the king. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, our spiritual lives, and oftentimes are lived just like that. Well, I'm going to be faithful to my husband. Yes, sir, everybody. And uh, because, you know, I don't want to be unfaithful because, uh, you know, I want some good gifts from God, and I want to have some Christian kids. You know, I I don't want my kids to ever embarrass me by doing something bad. And so I'm going to be a good girl. Ladies and gentlemen, that's not worship. That's self-service. I give so that I can get. So ultimately, I'm not giving anything. I'm just serving me. One man had a carrot. You can get lots of carrots at Kroger. But this carrot was an expression of, here's my love and I want nothing in return. And, God res- and the king responded. Ladies and gentlemen, that's Christian living. Through the spirit by faith. Not circumcision, you know, I got to do, I got I to, you know, check all these boxes, you know, and I got to study my Bible, and I got to, you know, memorize verses, and then, uh, because then God will give me something really big. <laughs> do you see how ugly that is? It's like the nobleman who gave his horse thinking, well, I'm going to get a whole lot now, because, I mean, that other guy, he got, he got all those lands just because of a carrot. But I'm going to get a whole lot more from the king because I gave him a horse. And I'm telling you, it seems to me that that mentality is very frequently found in the Christian church. I'd be a good girl. I'd be a good boy. Because I want him to give me some more, some more stuff. And it might not be money. It, it could be, uh, I want my kids to grow up good. So I'm going to give him some stuff, you know. And you really gave that stuff to yourself. Because all I was trying to do is get something out of God. Circumcision, uncircumcision, it not mean a thing. The only thing that it means anything is faith working through love. I took a carrot over to God's house. And it was the greatest expression I could make of my love for him. I gave him my best carrot. And God was honored. Now, guys, if you think that was long, (laughs) 
the really long one. Now, gang, I'm going to plead with you. I know that reading this is not good pedagogy. I know this. But I'm telling you, about 15 of you are going to want a copy of this when I'm done. Um, one of the most famous sermons that I know about, in fact, uh, I have referenced it probably 10 times since I've been here. And um, when you read as much as I read, you're going to find this referenced by somebody. It was preached in the early 1800s, around 1825, something like that. And it was preached by a, a, a Scottish preacher by the name of Thomas Chalmers. And the title of his message was, this is the expulsive power of a new affection. Gang, if, if you didn't get anything, just the expulsive power of a new affection. How do we go about dealing with the sin that lurks in our hearts? How do we change? How are we brought into conformity with Christ? How does that happen? How do we pull that off? Well, this is not, this is, <laughs> there's probably about 16 of these pages in the sermon. I, I just got a little of it. I mean, it's that much. But I'm going to try and spice it up a little bit by pausing and not just reading straight through. But ladies and gentlemen, would you please listen? There's not much better than what you're about to hear. <clears throat> the object of the gospel is both to pacify the sinner's conscience and to purify the heart. And it is, of a, it is of importance to observe that what mars the one of these objects mars the other also. That is, if the gospel is working on the conscience and the heart, then um, um, what, what, what mars one will mar the other. What will mar the conscience will also mar the heart. Next sentence. The best way of casting out an impure affection is to admit a pure one. Now, I should have said this. His language is a little bit wooden. For instance, uh, the best way of casting out an impure affection. He's not talking about a bad girlfriend. He's talking about a, a, a desire that I have. And he says... The best way of casting out an impure affection is to admit, allow in, a pure one. Thus it is that the freer the gospel, listen, the freer the gospel, the more sanctifying the gospel the more it is received as a doctrine of grace, the more it will be felt as a doctrine leading to godliness. The freer you can preach it, the more impulse to a godly life, says Chalmers. But the best way to get 
<coughs> rid of some of that, uh, you know, that ugly stuff that's down in my heart, is to admit, to allow in a pretty one that will replace a bad one. We've only begun. On the tenure of do this and you will live, that is, in this doctrine of do this and you will live, boy, if this isn't true, on the tenure of this do this and you will live, a spirit of fearfulness is sure to enter. And the jealousies of a legal bargain chase away all confidence of intimacy between God and man. And the creature striving to be square and even with his creator is in fact pursuing all the while his own selfishness instead of God's glory like the man with the horse. I mean, if all you're trying to do is, you know, is, is settle the score with God and, and square and make it even, all you're doing is pursuing selfishness with all the conformities which he labors to accomplish. The soul of obedience is not there. The mind is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed under such an economy can it ever be. In that, in that uh, performance world, you're really not submitting to the law of God. You're doing those things simply to get some stuff. It is only when as in the gospel, acceptance is bestowed as a present without money and without price that the security which man feels in God is placed beyond the reach of disturbance. It's, it's only when you realize that, that, that the gospel is without money and without price that the security that, that you so want is gotten and nothing can get to it to disturb it. <coughs> Only then can he repose in him as one friend reposes in another. The one party rejoicing over the other to do him good in the impulse of gratitude by which is he awakened to the charms of new moral existence. Awaken to the charms of new moral existence. Is that what you think? Or is obedience drudgery? Or is there a charm to moral obedience? Well, the charm comes, ladies and gentlemen, the freer the gospel. <clears throat> salvation by grace, salvation by free grace, Salvation not by works, but according to the mercy of God is indispensable, listen, to godliness. Did you get that? A gospel of free grace is in, indispensable to holy living. Listen. Retain a single 
shred or fragment of legality with the gospel and you take away the power of the gospel to melt and to conciliate. Retain a single shred or fragment of legality like baptism. I've been baptized or I got to go get baptized so I can be saved. Retain a single shred. And the whole thing's ruined. Um, retain a single shred and you take away the power of the gospel to melt and conciliate. For this purpose, the freer it is, the better it is. That very peculiarity, which so many dread as the germ of antinomianism, I've said that up here on this board. The, the, the freer it is, that very peculiarity, which so many think is the germ of antinomianism or lawlessness, is in fact the germ of a new spirit and a new inclination against lawlessness. Along with the light of a free gospel, does there enter the love of the gospel, which in proportion as you impair the freeness, you are sure to chase away. You get that? Um, when the gospel enters, and if you somehow subtract any of the freeness, you're going to scare it all away. And never does the sinner find within himself so mighty a moral transformation as when under the belief that he is saved by grace, he feels constrained thereby to offer his heart a devoted thing and to deny ungodliness. Under what influence, ladies and gentlemen? The freeness of grace. Like the man with a carrot. Why is this grateful love so important? It is seldom that any of our bad habits or flaws, all of this, it is seldom that any of our bad habits or flaws disappear by a mere process of natural extinction. You know, I've got this bad habit, and, you know, I've been functioning like this for, you know, for 25 years, and, you know, it just disappeared all of a sudden. Ha! Who believes that? Um, it is very seldom that this is done through the instrument. Oh, excuse me. Um, it is seldom that any of our bad habits or flaws disappear by mere process of natural extinction. At least it is very seldom that this is done through the instrumentality of reasoning. Well, you know, I got this problem, and, you know, I'm, uh, I'm addicted to porn, and, you know, it's really bad, and, uh, you know, I shouldn't do that, and it's harming my marriage. Okay, I'll give it up. Ladies and gentlemen, that doesn't happen. It doesn't come by um, natural extinction. It doesn't disappear by reasoning or by the force of mental determination. This is bad. I'm in an affair, and I've got to stop this. Mm. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop it. 
ladies and gentlemen, we can't give up Diet Cokes. I had, I had somebody tell me the other day that he was going to have to get into a 12-step program to give up Diet, uh, diet Cokes. <laughs> anyway, um, all right, all right, uh, it, it, seldom is this done through the instrumentality of reasoning or by the force of mental determination. But listen, but what cannot be destroyed may be dispossessed. And one taste may be made to give way to another and to lose its power entirely as the reigning affection in the mind. It is thus that the boy ceases at length to be a slave of his appetite. But it is because a more mature taste has brought it into subordination. Oh, he used to be overeat, but now he's given up overeating because he's got another one. The youth ceases to idolize sensual pleasure, but it is because the idol of wealth has gotten the ascendancy. Even the love of money can cease to have mastery over the heart because it is drawn into the world of ideology and politics, and he is now lorded over by a love of power and moral superiority. Do you see what he's saying? Oh, yeah, yeah, there's a way, you know, to get rid of it. Just get another. I mean, I had somebody tell me the other day, um, you know, they were addicted to porn, addicted to porn, addicted to porn. Oh, they got, they got rid of the addiction to porn. Guess what? They began to drink alcohol to the point of alcoholism. There was another one that just took its place. But there is not one of these transformations. Listen, listen. This is true of you. There is not one of these transformations in which the heart is left without an object. We all got an object, ladies and gentlemen. Everybody's got an object. What's yours? Listen, this sentence is absolute genius. Its desire for one particular object is conquered, but its desire to have some object is unconquerable. Do you get that? I, I, can, I can conquer that object, but I've got to have another object. I'm almost done. The only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new one. It is only when admitted into the number of God's children through faith in Jesus Christ that the spirit of adoption is poured out on us. It is then that the heart brought under the mastery of one great and predominant affection is delivered from the tyranny of its former desires and the only way that deliverance is possible. Thus, it is not enough to hold out to the world the mirror of its own imperfections. It is not enough to come forth with the demonstration of the evanescent character of your enjoyments to speak to the conscience of its follies. Rather, 
Try every legitimate method of finding access to your hearts for the love of him who is greater than the world. Exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying in Ephesians 3. Find whatever access you can find. But you must know the height, the depth, and the breadth of the love of God. Because the only thing that will rid us from those impure affections is the expulsive power of a new one. I'll tell you this and I'll quit. Susan and I used to live on Anderson Cove right off of Hacks Cross before we moved into this house. And um, I didn't have a whole lot of trees, but I, have a, I had a couple. And I hate to rake leaves. In fact, they always send me to the emergency room or to Terry Nell. Um, but I, I'm always, I mean, if I rake leaves, I'm, I'm done for. Uh, but anyway, uh, there was this one tree that was the ugliest old pin oak tree. I guess it was in the backyard. And, and um, it would never, you know, quite give up its leaves. You know, I'd rake, rake. And those brown, ugly leaves would just hang on there. And, the, you know, December, January, and there they were. They're still there, you know. You know, come February, March. And then around April sometime, you could see the things beginning to green up. And as new life shot through those branches, all those leaves began to fall. It was the expulsive power of a new affection. Ladies and gentlemen, I can stand up here and teach you the seventh commandment until, the re- until you drop dead and how awful it is to commit adultery. And it is the thing that you need to hear about is the glories of what Jesus Christ has done for sinners. And the only thing that will drive out all that ugly crap in us is a new affection. The gospel on display in Jesus Christ. Whatever way you have to do it, find more of the beauty of Christ and Him crucified. Our Father, I I do pray that you'll use this man's great sermon to um, remind your people that the freer the gospel, the greater the influence on our ungodliness. And this whole silliness about law and what it will accomplish. It, it, is, it has gripped us long enough, particularly in the Bible-belted South. Might we run from anything that has a shred of merit attached to it? Whether it's circumcision or uncircumcision, Lord, it all matters not. It is only faith working out in love. Grant us that, Father, as we dive Sunday after Sunday after Sunday into the beauty of Christ and Him crucified. We pray, of course, in His name.